Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. A progressive out of Wisconsin is going to be with us today. He's running a Democratic primary to run against uh, Ron Johnson. His name is Tom Nelson. He has a a really good interview that we did a while back that I think it's apropos right now, especially with what's going on in Wisconsin. Uh, of course, we're going to talk a lot about the vote, uh, and we're going to talk a whole lot about what our president has accomplished, uh, Joe Biden. Now, I think it's important for us to understand what happened last night uh, when Joe Manchin and Cinema decided that the rules of the Senate, or they used it as a pretext that the rules of the Senate are more important than democracy itself, than everybody having the right to the vote. Now, I think it's important for us to understand what happens there. When it was time to modify the filibuster to get the debt ceiling, there was no problem. When it was time to modify the filibuster for tax cuts, it's no problem. We use the reconciliation, just like Cinema had said before. There are ways around the filibusters, what she used to preach when she was running. But now, it's expedient because of who or who have become her benefactors, because of who are supporting these guys, that to them it doesn't really matter anymore whether democracy continues. Well, you know what? We're going to continue to fight, and we're going to make sure that these two pay the price for voting no on something that would have made voting easier for millions of people. You can get any one of my books as a gift for becoming a member of KPFT. Go to kpft.org, click that donate button, select Politics Done Right as the show you're supporting, and go into the gift area and select As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, or you can also get it's worth it how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors, or go to How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. If you get one book, it gives you one particular membership price, two books, you get a discount, and three books, you get an even better discount. So please consider becoming a member of KPFT, and in the process, you get the gifts of the books. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright. On YouTube Live at politicsunright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station 
in your minds, KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what that nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 FM, you can visit us at kpft.org. But you know how we get started. Let's get busy. Senator Chris Murphy, he has a strong, strong warning for Democratic senators because you know what? Keep playing that game about we want to maintain the sanctity of the Senate or we want to give the minority the option. Let's remember what that minority option got you. We got you three Supreme Court justices for the other party by playing all the wrong cards. And it seems like we can't learn. And I want to talk about why I think we can't learn. Quote, unquote, why we can't learn. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. In the last hour, of course, uh, Kirsten Cinema was on the floor and flatly rejecting any alteration on the filibuster rules, despite her, her claim that she is committed to voting reform. But these voting rights bills, according to the president, his speech in Atlanta and what he's going to say to your caucus in the, last, in the next half hour when he gets up there, is they can't pass without changing the filibuster rules. So is it dead now without having all, you know, all 50 Democrats, even if, even if Joe Manchin could be persuaded? Yeah, I'm disappointed that we are going to have a small group of uh, Democratic senators that won't allow us to pass uh, a voting rights bill into law. And I know that some of my colleagues uh, feel that by preserving the filibuster, they are preserving the Senate. I I just worry that there's not going to be a Senate around any longer if we don't stop Republicans from successfully engaging in a steal of an election in the way that they tried in 2020. They got really close to seating Donald Trump as president, even though he lost. They are cleaning up their mistakes. They are passing all sorts of state laws designed to allow them to install Donald Trump as president in 2024, regardless of whether he wins or loses. And so my colleagues who say they want the filibuster to preserve the traditions of the Senate may be cutting off their nose to spite their face because the Senate might not be around five years from now if our democracy falls apart after Donald Trump is successful in installing himself in president after he loses the 2024 election. I think the stakes are that high and we'll continue to work at this. We're not going to give up, but obviously it's a disappointing day. It's indeed a disappointing day. I cannot believe I'm going to have cinema speech later on on a link inside of the blog and maybe I'll attach it up top as well to show that she is living in a world of her own. She doesn't understand politics. She's claiming We can't continue the division. She misses the point. The point is the division continues because we have a failure to execute at the governmental level. And the governmental failure to execute is is a direct responsibility of the filibuster. Break the filibuster, show the American people that the government will work, and allow democracy to work. The minority rights can always be preserved. You know what it's called? The Bill of Rights. And if there are any rights that must, absolutely must be protected for any group, minority or otherwise, throw it into an amendment to the Constitution and make it that those are the particular things that require that in which 
we cannot get the tyranny of the majority, if you know what I'm talking about. We don't want the tyranny of the majority, but we don't want the tyranny of the minority either. And what we've had over decades and decades is tyranny of the minority. But let's be clear here. Cinema had no problem breaking the filibuster when it came to the debt relief. She had no problem breaking the filibuster when it came to the debt ceiling. But when it comes to things that affect people, people of color, women, when it comes to things that affect those people who are in need, to hell with them. We don't care about them. We don't have to do anything because you know what? They are not meritorious. You know what? They are. They don't, they don't have to be satisfied. As long as the plutocracy, the wealthy, the oligarchy is satisfied, it is okay. We won't, we, we, we'll break the rules if we have to break it to make sure that they get what they need. But what about those who want to vote? What about those who want to get relief? Oh, forget it. You're not good enough. You're not meritorious enough. You're not huma- human enough. Remember, they claim they want to maintain the sanctity of the Senate. It's not about the sanctity of the Senate. It's about the ability to have a minority of owned politicians rule the country for guess whom? The wealthy, the plutocracy. It is all ordained and until we break the back of that ordinance, it'll be maintained and sustained the way it is right now. Jim Clyburn, he got it right. I want you to listen to this, and then let's go ahead and take it on the other side. You know, I want to go back to President Biden. He got very serious pushback after his speech on Tuesday from all sides. Senator Dick Durbin said he took it a little too far by comparing current voting restrictions to Jim Crow. Mitch McConnell called Biden profoundly unpresidential for his divisive language. So was that fierce tone counterproductive? Absolutely not. I disagree with both those things. I know Dick. I like Dick a whole lot. But let me tell you something. That's what Jim Crow was all about. We had uh, votes during Reconstruction, which came to an end, by the way, in 1876. And when it came to instruction, uh, it came to an end, we got Jim Crow laws. That's exactly what these laws are about. These are Jim Crow 2.0. That is one of the strongest points of the president's speech that I agree with. So this whole notion, when you walk around and no one has ever discriminated against you because of your skin color, or you've never had to worry about having your vote counted, you can have those kinds of states. But you're talking to one who uh, knows a different history in this country. And that's exactly what these laws are. Jim Crow 2.0. And you know what is disconcerting? Every Democrat that you hear talk about uh, uh, Donald Trump is putting our democracy in danger. Donald Trump is being autocratic. Donald Trump doing all these things, right? You hear them say those words. Where is the act behind those words? If there is fire under under the, the American democracy now, don't you try to put it out? When you have a Joe Manchin and a, uh, a Christine Cinema decided that they won't mess with the sanctity of the Senate. Hey, we got three, three Supreme Court unqualified conservative thugs as justices this under the presidency of Donald Trump because they decided that they were going to hold back on Obama's pick because they decided they didn't care anything about how the Senate operated. When they needed to act to get what they wanted, 
They acted. Now, one of the largest bases of the Democratic Party is, is the people of color, not just black folk, not just Latinos, many others. And these are the people that the Republicans have targeted not to vote. It is Jim Crow 2.0. They are targeted in the way that they have written the laws, in the places that they have put drop boxes, in the way they say, if you help your your grandmother who can't quite speak the language, English, if you help her learn how to vote, you run the risk of being thrown in jail. There are a lot of these issues. They're not asking you to count beads anymore, but they're saying you have to have an ID. We don't have a problems with having IDs, but when you have to pay for an ID that they don't want to give you, you should, if, if they want you to have an ID to vote, you should be able to go into a, a, a DPS or one of these places and say, give me my ID. This is my name. Find me. I am a bona fide United States citizen. You shouldn't even have to do that. You know what's so funny about voting? Illegal or rather, Undocumented people do not want to go vote because they don't want to take the risk of getting caught and kicked out of the country. So that has always been a red herring. But folks, Jim Crow 2.0, as Jim Clyburn said, is absolutely true. And shame on those who refuse, shame on those who have allowed, who have allowed Mitch McConnell's words to be cauterized. When Mitch McConnell says, it's not presidential, or he has gone too far by saying that those, those, those senators that do not support the changes in the, or, or rather support the voting, giving everyone appropriate voting rights, that they're no different than what Wallace was back in the sixties. They're no different than the Jim Crow that we had in the sixties. They're supporting it. They are supporting it. There's no two ways about it. Cinema and mansion by being able to have a cutout in the filibuster to get the, the, uh, the bill, the price bill passed to get the, uh, what is it? The debt bill passed. They allowed, uh, remember this folks. They allowed the filibuster to lapse in order to pass a debt bill. Why can't they do that to make sure that everybody have equal access to the ballot. Everybody has equal access to vote. Let's understand what is going on here. They care very little about humanity where it comes to certain people while they care about some other people's money. So they won't let that debt ceiling collapse at all. But what if, if they pass laws that these other people can't vote? Oh, well, it doesn't matter to me really because whether Democrats win or not, I'm a Democrat, but whether Democrats win or not, I'll survive. I am doing fine. What about the others? That is why we have to get our coalition together, our multi, multi-ethnic, multi-everything coalition together so that they can never again pull things like this and think they can use any type of separative ways to have us vote completely and entirely against our interests. Shame on cinema, shame on mansion, shame on every single Republican who's not supporting the changes to the filibuster. And we, the people in in November, we better make a change. We better elect people who will blow past the filibuster and get it out of commission altogether as we start working and on, on democratizing the Senate and get into hell rid of the Electoral College. Senator Joe Manchin went onto the floor and in his opposition 
to modifying the filibuster. And in the process, while he didn't lie specifically, he had a sign behind him that says, the United States Senate has never been able to end debate with a simple majority. That is a complete lie. And uh, in as much as he tried many platitudes and tried to sound bipartisan and, and, and wanting to do things together, he simply lied. But Amy Klobuchar was not going to allow it. Check out what she had to say. There are 160 exceptions, 160 exceptions to the filibuster rule. Things have been changed to benefit my colleagues from the other side of the aisle. Somehow, it only takes 51 votes to put in place the Trump tax cuts or the Bush tax cuts. Somehow, it only took 51 votes to put Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court of the United States, a change by them, made by them. Somehow, it only takes 51 votes to try to overturn a regulation or try to mess around with the Affordable Care Act. But then, when it comes to something like voting rights, suddenly everyone on the other side of the aisle is hugging that filibuster tight, knowing that so many times in history, including most recently with the debt ceiling, changes have been made to allow a vote with less than 60 votes. The National Gas Policy Act in 1977, in 1995, the Endangered Species Act, in 1996, a change to the reconciliation process. 160 times. I think by voting this down, by not allowing us to even debate this to get to the conclusion of a vote, that is silencing the people of America, all in the name of an archaic Senate rule that isn't even in the Constitution. That's just wrong. Now that is what we need. A firebrand out there on this particular issue. And Amy Klobuchar, she really handed it to him without specifically naming him. She named it mostly on the Republicans. But we know exactly who she was talking about. Senor, Senor Joe Manchin, the liar on the Senate floor with the message he had behind him and likely the most willfully naive Senate or the willfully naive senator in the Senate. It's all about voting rights and these two activists, I want you to listen to what they have to say because it is important. It is what the the speech that Cinema gave a few uh, days ago. It was so disingenuous based on even where she's from and what she used to believe. Check this out by Ari Bellman and Maria Luz Kumar, and we'll take it on the other side. This seems to be someone who has essentially declared that voting rights don't matter. All that matters is what Republicans want and what they and what they desire and what they will vote for. So you, as somebody who has, has made it your, your mission, your life's work to try to achieve, you know, access to the ballot. Where are we now? Well, Kirsten Sinema didn't just disrespect Joe Biden. She disrespected American democracy. And it's incredibly ironic that she called John Lewis her hero. But she's going to allow hmm. Republicans to filibuster the John Lewis Voting Rights Act on Martin Luther King Day. And really, she is allowing Republicans, her and Joe Manchin, are allowing Republicans to set the terms of the entire fight. Because what's happening is Republicans in the states 
are passing all of these voter suppression laws on simple majority party line votes. But Cinema is saying we can't protect voting rights in the U.S. Senate on a party line, simple majority vote. And so what she's essentially saying is it's too partisan and divisive to stop laws whose entire purpose are to be partisan and divisive. So basically, Republicans are plotting the next coup. They're doing everything they can to take over election operations in every key swing state. And Cinema and Manchin are basically saying, we're not going to do anything to stop it. Imagine yeah. the message that sends the Republican Party and the message that it sends to voters all across the country who need badly federal protection for voting rights right now. She probably feels they're going to hurt her. But her state, it might hurt quite significantly. Um, the state of uh, Arizona is 31.7 percent Latino. It's 5.2 percent African-American. It's 4 percent Asian Pacific Islander. Um, the, the indigenous population makes up 5.3 percent of the state. It's going to hurt somebody, but it's not going to hurt her. So she clearly doesn't give a damn. Um, but let me not even argue with her. Let me let her argue with her. This is Kirsten Cinema <laughs> back in 2010 on the false pressure for 60 votes. Here she is. The Democrats um, can stop uh, kowtowing to Joe Lieberman and instead seek other avenues to move forward with health reform. And so it's likely that the Senate will move forward with a process called reconciliation, which takes only 51 votes. The Republicans controlled the Senate for quite some time, in fact, since around 1994. They never had 60 votes, and they managed to do a lot of really bad things during that time. So the reconciliation process is still quite available, and we will use it for good rather than for evil. Well, Kristen Cinema seems to be very much of the political stripes that she'll change to whoever is calling her name the most. In this case, it seems to be being courted by the rich and the wealthy of the Republican Party. The challenge, though, is that she does not represent the interests of the of the state at all. You mentioned the rising uh, electorate there. The young people that you talked about, African-Americans and Latinos, are disproportionately young Arizonans. They are aging into the population. They are trying to define their future for this country. And it's by no coincidence that the modern-day Jim Crow laws, Joy, are coincide with the rise of young, diverse America. For the second time in a row, for the second decade in a row, Latinos were responsible for 50% of our population growth, American-born children who happen to be Latino. And when you look at states like Georgia, when you look at states like Arizona, when you look at states like Texas, together with the African-American community and the Latino community, it's an incredible force. And instead of having the Republicans compete for us on policy issues, they want to control and and control and centralize power. And cinema wants to be part of that apartheid autocratic government. And that's the question we should ask. We should also ask, where are the patriots on the Republican side? Where is the McRomney's? Mm-hmm. Where is he? Why isn't he standing up? Because I can tell you that from what I understand from his father's legacy, which is what he claims mm-hmm. is why he's here, his father would be completely... I believe, really upset and angry at what the Republicans are doing because they are not talking about party politics at this case. What they are trying to do is that they are trying to erode little d democracy. Because what happens in autocratic governments is that it has, it gets to a point where it's no longer about the color of your skin, it's the amount in your bank account because you centralize yeah. power on your cronies and your friends. And that is not only the antithesis of America, but it actually goes against our promise. And so what we need, and people say, well, what do we do now? Right. We need every single American right now calling their members of Congress, calling their senators and saying that it's not okay. And we need to look for new leadership in Arizona. 
I hope you get three basic things out of this. One is that cinema has changed her stripes. She used to support reconciliation and not allowing a 60-vote majority from stopping things from occurring in the Senate. Numero dos is that yes, she is in fact, with her uh, obstinance, actually allowing for a second coup. And not only that, a coup for all of us to see as it is generated. And third and most importantly, we have to realize the demographic in this country that is growing. And the real reason why the, the Republican Party are there, that they're in panic mode right now. The important thing is this. They don't want to pass policies that, that, that's, that's equitable for everybody. They want to pass policies for the plutocracy and those the plutocracy would hold in their own view as more deserving. Remember, that's what it's all about. A party that has no desire, the Republican Party that is, that has no desire for equity and having two stooges in another part. Well, actually, it's more than just Cinema and Mansion. They're the only ones brave enough to show their faces, but others that, that are in the, in the Democratic Party as well that are nothing more than pawns to the plutocracy. They're nothing more than those who are working for wards, if you will of the plutocracy. Let's keep that straight and let's follow what Kumar had to say. Let's make sure and get those people, call, call your congresspersons, your senators, but most importantly, register to vote, make sure you do it correctly however hard it is, and vote them out, vote progressives in. Ali Belchi hit the nail on the head. I want you to listen to this because, you know, we've been talking about the economy, the economy, the economy. Finally, we have somebody in the mainstream media that says, you know what? The media has been covering the economy all wrong. Check out Ali Velci, then we'll go ahead and take it on the other side. It's time for an economic reality check. The news media hasn't done a great job of communicating where the country is really at. You see a lot of doom and gloom and not a lot of substance to back that up economically. For starters, the stock market, a key indicator of economic health for the former president, is going strong. The S&P 500 ended 2021 with a 27% gain. Now, about half of Americans are not invested in the stock market, which means that about half are, and that market performance helps your 401k and your IRAs. Then there are jobs. The unemployment rate is at a pandemic low, 3.9%, almost as low as it was before the pandemic and far lower than most economists will tell you is something called full employment. Average hourly pay has risen as a result, 4.6% in the past year. And all of these are signs of a strong economy. But let's not go overboard here. Not everything is wonderful, economically speaking, at the moment. Families are bracing for their first month without a child tax credit payment. The monthly payments of up to $300 per child, included in the Democrats' American Rescue Plan, did not go out today for the first time in six months. What's more, the payments are ending as inflation takes a toll on working families' wallets. Now, I mentioned that wages are up, but so are prices, which increased 7% over a 12-month period, making 2021 the worst year for inflation since 1982. And there's undoubtedly room for improvement, but what we're seeing right now is not an economy in crisis. We're seeing the result of policies that put more people in a stronger position during a once-in-a-generation pandemic than they would ever otherwise have been. Now, it is important to see that. Notice Ali Velchi is not saying everything is nice, good, and roses. But let's have some perspective here. The economy is much better than it was when, uh, when, when President Trump left. It is much better than it was during Trump. And it has brought a whole lot of people out of poverty because of the policies, progressive 
policies instituted in the American Rescue Plan, the American Rescue Act. Come on, let's not allow the right-wing media to dictate the direction of our thinking. Let's not allow them to make, uh, make any, a good economy seem bad in order to win. If we allow that to cauterize, then that is when you lose that big House of Representatives that we're so concerned about losing. Martin Luther King, an interview that he gave, an economic message that he gave, and I want you guys to listen to this because this, when Martin Luther King started to really get serious about the economic issues of the people of color, the economic issues of folks that have been, that have been undermined for decades, that is when the problem of his life really begun. Of course, it's, that's not entirely true, but we know that whenever you mess with certain people's way of being, their money, their green, issues start to happen. Anyhow, listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. Every other group that came as an immigrant somehow, not easily, but somehow got around it. Is it just the fact that Negroes are black? White America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, that is one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negroes color a stigma. America freed the slaves in 19, I mean 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land on nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to, to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate. And therefore it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. Well, I mean, every okay, I, I, I hope you got that. I hope you understand that or understood that. Martin Luther King, what he's trying to make clear is those Europeans who came to this country, most were given land. They were able to go ahead and when we were having the, the westward expansion as we took the land away from those who have inhabited that land for millennia. As we took their land, the people that we allowed to have that land were those from Europe and elsewhere. But the people who were enslaved, even after the Emancipation Proclamation, they got yet nothing. So whereas many could move westward 
and accumulate land and build their wealth onto stolen land. Those who worked the land, those who created products on the land, they got nothing. So as these people who acquired and acquired and acquired grew in their own personal economies, there were some groups that had to try to lift themselves up from bootstraps they never had. And by the way, you can't really lift yourself up from a bootstrap. I want you to try that one of these days. You can't do it. It was a joke. But for those who were supposed to build themselves up, yeah, there are a few people that are going to fall through the cracks. They're, somebody was nice to them and gave them a little bit of capital. Somebody gave them a little bit of opportunity to make it. But most didn't. Most was, weren't landowners. Most weren't, didn't get that 40, 40 acres and a mule. Right? So they were never able to accumulate. So as we talk about those senators that don't see when Jim Clyburn calls Jim Crow 2.0 what's occurring in Republican states to deny people of color the right to vote or to make it more difficult for them to vote. As, as mansion and cinema play as if they, they can't destroy the essence of the Senate to do that. Why? Because, you know, we are going to give the extremes more power. No, give the majority the power that they deserve and let the Bill of Rights maintain the power of the minority, the power of the individual, their individual, their inalienable rights, but everything else should be democratically achieved. But if you are going to stop democracy as cinema and mansion and every single Republican is doing right now and not want to be called out as the Jim Wallaces of the 21st century, the Jim Wallaces of now, be offended because somebody dare call you a racist because you decide that you won't change the filibuster while you change the filibuster for capital issues the debt relief, the debt ceiling. You don't have a problem changing the filibuster for that, but for the essence of democracy, we're a group of people, even here on Martin Luther King's day, or losing it all again. You cannot, you cannot say, I will take care and do what's right so that these people can elect the people that will ensure their economic success and not do what we do decade after decade after decade. Folks, this is Martin Luther King's Day. Call your congressman, call your senator. Tell them to do the right thing because this is how democracies die. And the death of a democracy can be pretty darn not what you want. We have a very special guest, as you know, uh, the election time, it's never too early to start. Well, today we have with us Tom Nelson. Tom Nelson is a Midwest progressive and one of the rear Wisconsin Democrats to win election in the rural Republican regions of the battleground state. He is the author of the book, One Day Stronger, How One Union Local Saved, or How One Union Local Saved a Mill and Changed an Industry and what it means for American manufacturing. But most importantly, he is running to unseat one of the most dangerous anti-democratic senators in Congress, Ron Johnson. So welcome to Politics Done Right, Tom Nelson. How are you doing today? 
Great. Thanks for having me on. This is the very first podcast I'm doing to, I guess, promote my book. As you mentioned, One Day Stronger. I should say the title is not as long as the first chapter, but I hope it's descriptive enough to show what I'm trying to accomplish. Well, you know, you have One Day Stronger colon, so people can, as long as they know it's One Day Stronger, it gives us the impetus to be stronger. Then we can read the other stuff afterwards, which is very important. But anyhow, Tom, Tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Who, who are you? Why should uh, the, the citizens of Wisconsin think that you can unseat somebody the worst or, let's say, the most dangerous anti-democrat in Congress, in the Senate? Despite the fact that we are, that I'm 23 minutes away from his lakefront home, the contrast that I have that I bring the campaign is going to likely be the most stark contrast. I grew up in Little Shoe, Wisconsin, son of a Lutheran pastor on a little old street called Carolyn Drive. On that street, seemingly every parent worked in a paper mill. And I worked in one of those mills hauling pulp once. And I saved, as you mentioned before, I saved one of those mills as county executive. I, uh, I spent summers bailing hay on my uncle's farm. I cleared dishes at a supper club. Meanwhile, you have someone like Ron Johnson, who represents everything that is wrong in Washington. He chases conspiracy theories and he ignores this economic crisis that has presented itself to Wisconsin and, and also across the country. He is someone who has not earned his wealth and has voted for tax increases that has benefited. What I wanna do, I wanna make sure that the economy works for everyone, not just Ron Johnson, not just the very wealthy, but the mill workers, the working families on Carolyn Drive, the family farms in Clayton and Clear Lake, Wisconsin, and small businesses up and down main streets across our great state and the country for that matter. Now, that that is actually very important because I, I think... I think how you grew up, a lot of people, a lot of people tend to think, uh, you know, it's the schools you go to and all, all of that. I think my formative years uh, are, were the most important of my life to determine the type of empathetic person that I'm going to be, to determine the type of values that I have and to determine how I'm going to deal with other people. So I think that is very important. That is not to say that somebody who grew up wealthy couldn't develop those things, sure. but it's not inherently there because they have not lived it. Uh, you have lived uh, various facets. Why don't you tell us a little bit? Uh, I want to get into your, the, your politics, but beforehand, I think you really gave the segue for us to go into your book first, and then we'll do a little bit of the politics. Tell me, why did you go ahead and write that book? Well, I want to first comment on the first thing you said. My mother, my late mom, um, tried to drill into me. She was very successful that no matter what I did in life, Never forget where I came from. My mother battled breast cancer for almost 11 years. My wife is recovering from breast cancer. Now, having breast cancer, you know, unfortunately is not that unusual, but it's very unusual for a 34-year-old to get cancer, which is the case for my wife. This is an example of both of them were fortunate. They had health insurance. 30 million Americans do not have health insurance and many more are underinsured. 
That is a big reason why I support Medicare for all. And I think it is fundamentally wrong that in the wealthiest country in the world, that not everyone is covered. Millions are not covered. When I get to Washington, I'm not just going to cover, have a goal to cover millions of Americans with insurance. I'm going to make sure I'm going to do the best I can to cover every single American. That is, go ahead, sir. No, um, that, uh, I am a, I'm schooled in Medicare for all and that I've been pushing Medicare for all for the last over a decade right now. So I, I'm going to want to tackle that and actually get a little bit deeper into that. But tell me, I mean, uh, uh, again, a little bit about what sure, drew sure. you yep. into yep. writing your book. I think that is important because, uh, I mean, it is very grassroots. It is also very real. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, about four years, almost four years ago, um, one of our mills, one of those mills, it wasn't the one that I worked at, but a lot of my uh, friends' parents did work at that. It's called, it was called the Appleton Coated Mill. When I grew up, colloquially known as the Combined Locks Mill, what happened is it went into receivership. And it went into receivership because early that summer, so it was the summer of 2017, they didn't have the strongest finances, but they had a strong and rich tradition of a local union, and they had a pretty good business plan. And it was owned by local, um, um, it had uh, manager owners, about, about 10 of them. And so I got involved. There's a little known piece on um, a provision in this very old receivership law that allows people or, or, or local unions withstanding to object to the sale, which is what we did. And we prevailed on the new owner, which was an industrial scrap dealer from, from, from uh, California. And we showed them that it was a profitable mill, that they should not scrap it, that they should run it. And so that had a lot to do with the workforce, as well as the business plan that was put together by the local union and by the mill managers. They showed that they could run it. They brought back 300 workers and the guy actually ended up selling it for um, over a hundred million dollars after buying it for about 21 million dollars wow and that kind of goes into one of my one of my things I'm, I'm calling for is that when an entity like a local union is the reason as well as in the case of Appleton coded is the reason why it was saved and it was the reason why this new owner was able to flip it for 80 million dollars I believe it is also unfair just in the case of not covering every single American with health insurance is fundamentally unfair that that union did not recover um, the cuts that they took in wages and really should have taken a cut in the profits that that owner um, received. But the reason why what really pushed me is the fact that then Governor Scott Walker, former Governor Scott Walker, which sounds great, and all the local Republican legislators did not do a thing. Meanwhile, they put or committed over $3 billion in state taxpayer dollars for the notorious Foxconn deal. That made me so angry and I decided to do something about it. So I didn't just push back and send out just a tweet. I spent 22 months researching the, this, this book and coming out with a 300 page, the real story behind this. That is excellent. And I'm, I'm glad that you're cognizant of uh, what occurred after the sale because the the union people sacrificed everybody sacrificed in the in the town uh to 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 get to keep this mill around and when the guy sells it he sells it for four or five times it's uh his purchase price he looks like a star 
and you guys are left. Uh, I mean, yes, you still have a job, but you weren't the spoils that you guys created. You did not come part with it. I mean, did not become a part of it. Last night, I interviewed uh, Dr. Professor Dr. Richard Wolf, and we were discussing exactly, as an economist, we were discussing exactly these types of issues, where those people on the financial side make the money while the grassroots, the workers, yep. they're just treated like cogs or they're just treated like another widget in, in a manufacturing plant, et cetera. So I'm glad that you see that because we need more people in Washington who are making laws, who understand that the person who's doing all these financial transactions would not be there without those who are actually making those transactions profitable, which in your That's case, right. the employees. Um, now, what, uh, what are you running on? As far as uh, what are you going to tell your constituents and uh, the entire Wisconsin, why should they get rid of a seasoned, professional, anti-democratic senator for you? <laughs> people are telling me, I call people asking for support. Every single one, well, they say some choice words for Senator Johnson. But they basically said anyone, they want anyone besides Ron Johnson. In fact, there were some I talked to yesterday, uh, Sally Miller, I think that was her name. She talked about how she would even take a challenger, Republican challenger to Ron Johnson. But she mentioned how we talked about how it was patently unfair that the workers did not get anything back from that sale. And that goes back to the main plan of my candidacy, which which resolves around fairness, economic fairness, racial justice, those important things. That is why what happened with the Appleton coded example, that's exactly what I mean by making sure the economy works for everyone. That is a really good example, as you mentioned, that not, I mean, they did, um, um, half of them did did get their jobs back, they were able to, um, you know, you know, be able to work and have a good wage and, and so forth. But it just wasn't fair. That is an example where the economy could be working. The system is rigged. It could be working better for them, but it, but it did it. Now, again, you're, you're stepping into uh, Ron Johnson's position. You have to convince Wisconsinite that you, you pretty much know all the policies relative to uh, health care, relative to the environment, relative to uh, uh, the, the actual way an economy function, what's going to cause it to rise, what's going to cause it to fall. Uh, J- Ron Johnson is a businessman. Uh, you are a grassroots activist. Uh, tell me now, what are you going to tell those people who are a bit iffy? You know, uh, we know the devil that we have. How do we know that this guy isn't going to go in there and just do all these progressive crazy things? And by the way, the progressive crazy things are not really progressively crazy things. They're actually very fact and numerically based. But what will you tell them? Well, I think if you look at, I mean, I think the case, uh, the case study would be the Bernie Sanders campaign, primary campaign in 2016, where when when he won every single county, 71 of the 72 um, counties, that goes to show, and he had about as much of a progressive agenda as you could possibly have, and that agenda won. Out. These progressive issues are mainstream issues, if you will. Everyone wants to see everyone covered by health insurance. So, and that's that's what uh, and that's what Medicare for all is trying to achieve. So, a lot of people support that concept. When you talk about a green new deal, 
most of us understand that there is climate change and it is the great in the economy. I mean, I mean, I mean, it is just not sustainable. A friend of mine, Joel Rogers, said, you know, clean energy is the future because humanity is the future. A Green New Deal is absolutely crucial to tackle, to try and reverse climate change, because what that does is it looks at the economy and it looks at ways in which we can retool everything from, from buildings to infrastructure to transportation. And in the, and in the, um, and in the meantime, figure out, I mean, being able to generate millions and millions of jobs. So those are two types of examples that could be construed as, well, these are progressive. It's on the, the uh, left. It's on the progressive side of the spectrum, but when you break it down, what they're trying to accomplish are the same objectives that most everyone is trying to accomplish. So the key is, is uh, knowing how to explain these issues in which not only Democrats and progressives can appreciate, but folks that consider themselves moderates and even lean Republicans. And Bernie Sanders showed, um, despite you know being a progressive, that those are things that he believes that we can accomplish. And that's going to be a big part and you know, quite frankly, that's going to be a big challenge I'm going to have. But I have a lot of experience, and I have been very successful because I've been elected and reelected three times as county executive in a red county, elected and reelected three times as a state assemblyman, spending one term as majority leader again in a red district. So I have the track record. I think I have the vision. I've had. I mean, I have the values to be able to implement this type of agenda and hopefully and do the best I can to try and get results both for uh, uh, the state of Wisconsin and, and across the country. In other words, you've also won outside of Wisconsin, outside of Milwaukee and Madison, which is uh, which is exceptional. Um, I also find it very important the way you uh, express the Green New Deal, because uh, we can't simply look at it as, uh, oh, it's great for the environment. Yes, it, we need a good environment for humanity to survive. But at the same time, you have to work to survive and that you tie uh, retooling, extra work, etc., better paying work with the Green New Deal. Right. I think it's very important. Here in Texas, we're going through a freeze we've never seen before. The entire state of Texas is frozen. Never happened. The grid, which as Texans, you know, Texans believe that, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> sometimes might as well secede, right? Uh, yeah. Well, we have our own power grid and yeah. it has failed. Mm -hmm. And so there are four point something million people, about 25 to 33% of the people out of power. And uh, the, the first thing the governor did is said our windmills are frozen, which means uh, uh, half of the windmills went down because they didn't have the appropriate regulations to force them to have hidden elements right. so that they don't freeze. So those yeah. freeze. But the funny thing about it is the plants that have given them the most problem are the plants, the, the power plants that are based on gas and nuclear yeah. and oil mm -hmm. because they're mm -hmm. frozen. Yep. And that's where we're losing most of our power. So having someone explain the Green New Deal in a manner that Americans can see that it isn't the problem. It is really the yes. solution. Now, there are other topics of interest that um, a lot of Wisconsinites will be interested in, and that has to do with student debt. You have one of the better universities in Madison and many other places in, in, in the state. Uh, these are students that, that are coming in from rural areas to get their education, whether it's been agronomy or, agronomy or other, other fields. A lot of these kids have seen debt they've never seen before because of the way our system have turned, the way system has turned and the way much is going on. How 
or what's your will be your policy your push to help those students who are in dire straits uh, financially and how do you this is not an important add, add to the question how do you ensure that those people who do not go to college feel like somehow yeah. helping those who went yeah. to college by paying their debt is somehow a, 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 an advantage for them and not those who decided to work with their hands or otherwise. Right. Well, here in Wisconsin, um, we have a very strong uh, uh, four-year college system as well as a two-year college system. And one of my responsibilities as county executive, uh, I share responsibility with Winnebago County, which is right down the road. Uh, Ron Johnson's in Win Winnebago County. And so we have UW-Fox UW Fox Cities, which is connected to UW Oshkosh, which is a four-year uh, a four-year school, um, 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 as well as Fond du Lac. So Fond du Lac, and uh, here in Ottawa County, um, we have a two-year college. And one of the things that is advantageous of a two-year college is that it's rel relatively cheap. Last, last time I checked, tuition is somewhere between five and six thousand dollars a year. That is remarkable, since there are a lot of schools that have ten times that amount. So number one, <clears throat> you need to figure out a way. You have to make it a priority to make sure that tuition is as affordable as possible. So you want to change the system. But you also mentioned about folks that might not have gone into a two-year, four-year college. In a liberal arts ed education, we also have a very strong technical college system. Um, and Fox White Tech is the technical college that's in our in uh, our district and I actually sat on the board there for three years. Again, that has a very, very strong program that has a good partnership with businesses on demand. It has to be, you know, trained for, uh, for pipe fitters, for plumbers, electricians. They work with those employers. They work with labor to make sure that we are training enough folks so that there is um, um, an op opportunity for people who are going to work with their hands as well as the businesses. They have to make that kind of connection and here's an interesting story they had they passed i think it was a 70 or million a 70 or 80 million dollar referendum in 2012 which was right at the tail end of the great recession despite that fact despite the economic circumstances this referendum eight million dollars in additional um, um, um property taxes passed and passed by, i think it was like 15 or 20 points we we're very very fortunate in Wisconsin, especially Northeast Wisconsin, that we value education, not just two and four year, but also technical college. And so I think that is a very, very important um, part of making, um, you know, post high school education affordable. Well, um, look, uh, we're, we're coming up on time right now. So I always have the last question as follows. What didn't I ask you? What would you like to say uh, that I didn't ask you about. Buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, I've listened to so many podcasts and interviews and presentations from authors and they pitch their book like, you know, just again and again and again. And that's and that's uh, very, very important. And of course, um, I will be donating all the proceeds to a charity, a to be determined charity. Um, but I also want to get that story. I want to make sure locally that people understand this is what happened, not for my benefit, not for Wisconsin's benefit, but for the workers that have a big reason why they're able to do that in the first place. That story has got to get out there. Also, this is going to be a huge um, 
this is going to be the outline for the agenda for my campaign. So we're not just going to try to sell this book, and I hope that we're successful, but we're going to use this template uh, to transition to a U.S. Senate campaign and not just give recommendations of what we want policymakers to do, but this is what this future policymaker at the federal level is going to do and do for the workers of Appleton Code and the workers around Wisconsin and around the country. Tom Nelson, uh, progressive activist, Wisconsin Democrat, author of One Day Stronger, How One Union Local Saved a Mill and Changed an Industry and What It Means for American Manufacturing and the candidate with the expectation that he will unseat, Senator Ron Johnson. It's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for the time. You can get any one of my books as a gift for becoming a member of KPFT. Go to kpft.org, click that donate button, select Politics Done Right as the show you're supporting, and go into the gift area and select As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, or you can also get It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, or go to How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It. If you get one book... It gives you one particular membership price, two books you get a discount, and three books you get an even better discount. So please consider becoming a member of KPFT, and in the process, you get the gifts of the books. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright, on YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That's it, folks. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Unread, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe 